to the first episode of Slow Reader. My name is Jasper Peach and I am a slow reader. This doesn't reduce my love of storytelling. It only increases my appreciation for the literary art form. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you know the name of the traditional owners and live with respect for them, for their sacred rites and rituals and their stories. I'm coming to you from stolen Jajawaran country in so-called Australia, and as we begin this project, you as a listener and holder of these stories, and me as a producer and person who gathers them to share, I hold this deep listening and knowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It was tricky to know where to begin. I looked through my small collection of interviews that were conducted in the context of an excellent local community radio program where I live, Queer and Now on Main FM, hosted by Shireen Clough, and a show I had great joy in guesting on from time to time. I thought a conversation that I had with Kaya Wilson about his memoir, As Beautiful as Any Other, would be a good place to start. It was this book that got me back into reading early in 2021, after finding it too difficult for quite some time. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kaya Wilson. You'll notice I use a different name, um, as this was earlier in my own transition into the person I am and the name I use. I tried a few on for size, and Jay became Jasper, which when shortened is also Jay. Um, Hopefully that's clear enough. Um, You'll hear the original interview, and I also caught up with Kaya uh, as well for a bit of a follow-up chat at this later stage of 2021. Hope you enjoy. Kaya Wilson is the author of a stunning memoir I just had the pleasure of listening to as an audiobook, as beautiful as any other. He's joining me from Canberra where he works as a tsunami scientist and being a dreamboat. That is my official bio. Uh, Welcome Kaya and thank you for joining me on Queer Now. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Hi. Now, before we discuss the content and style of your book, I'm curious about how people relate to you after reading your memoir. I mean, I, I, we've never met. I'm just um, talking to you through Zoom and I feel this great affection and even comfort (laughs) hearing your voice and seeing your face and, you know, sort of like musicians who create the art that keeps me company during key times in life. Their songs become part of the story. Do people feel like they know you and that they've been invited into your private life? And is that unnerving? Yeah, you know, it's lovely that you say that um, because people have responded in quite sort of kind and sweet ways. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, I was definitely nervous about it. You know, it's very personal and quite vulnerable. But, and, and also I was sort of nervous about friends reading it because, you, you know, you, whether you try to or not, you sort of curate yourself and how you present yourself to different people. Mm. And, you know, but the best part has been friends reading it, actually. <laughs> you know, they send very lovely messages, you know, and they, they say they feel closer and it's um, a, a really, it's been a really kind of uh, touching and... Um, uh, sort of encouraging thing. It, it's sort of like, oh, it's okay. You know, they still love me. Or, yeah. <laughs> and but it's sort of a bit, it's just a bit sort of gentler than that. Um, I was definitely nervous about people at work uh, reading it. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to keep that a bit separate. Um, I haven't necessarily told people at work yeah. um, outright, but then someone did read it who I didn't know particularly well. And they just wrote this really cute little post-it message and then put it on my desk. Aww. <laughs> um, and so things, people have responded in, in a very sort of gentle but, like, kind of, as you say, like affectionate ways. And that's, it's, been, it's been really nice. Yeah. Mm. There, there is so much that you cover in, in your book. I, I found it really disarming. You know, I, I actually... I accidentally downloaded it. I thought it was a different book (laughs) because the cover had this vibrant picture and and a friend of mine had posted about their friend had written a book which also had a vibrant cover and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll I'll support their friend. And then I started listening to, oh, yeah, 
someone queer, cool, I'll support them. Um, and I didn't know anything about you or anything about your story. And then, you know, I just thought I was diving into a somewhat relatable queer trauma transition memoir. And then, and then boom, you know, there's gender, family, near-death experiences, athleticism, surgery, travel, the concept of home, the elitism of the British education system, um, pushing <laughs> beyond physical and emotional limits, your voice, climate crisis, the ocean, Tuvalu, and even trauma recovery. And I, I wonder how as a writer, how do you even begin to manage, I don't, I don't know, like a complex mixture of themes and the flow and cohesion between them all? Oh, well, that was a... A big question. Um, I know. I I I know but, that I'm meant to ask short questions, but I never can. I have too much to, no, to no. ask. <laughs> never change. Never change. It's also <laughs> quite flattering. You know, I'm happy to take it. <laughs> Look, I didn't necessarily set out to write a big book about big topics and have thematic chapters and you know it, it didn't start like that um it started off being a diary slash friend that I spent time with and that I sort of used as a way of um of coping with my life at the time and and it definitely kind of it burnt out of me. It wasn't something that I had to struggle with, especially at the beginning. You know, so it started off as this kind of small diarized kind of thing. And then it just got more interesting. And as I wrote, things came up and things um, came out of me, which I hadn't thought about in a long time. And, you know, it's what's going on in my head. You know, and I am one person and, and every, every person has the whole world inside them. You know, and so once I got to the point where there was interest in it, um, I wanted to make it more of a creative work. That's when I wrote one of those thematic chapters. I can't remember what it is now, but I wrote one and it, I tried to weave a couple of themes in. It turned into two or three themes and it just kind of worked for me. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I do 5,000 word chapters. They're going to be thematic and I'm going to put all of myself into it, not just a transition memoir or not just yeah. um, my take on science or my take on climate change. It was like, this is everything. It's all going out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had, when I um, started listening to your book, I just finished Phosphorescence um, oh. by Julia Baird. And both of these stories, they seem, they both seemed as busy as the way my mind is, you know, bouncing between countless topics really seamlessly and, and it feels normal and to me. And then I went to, I joined a book club recently and about Julia Baird's book and there was a lot of talk, oh, it really jumped around and it didn't have this, and I was like, oh, did it? I thought that was just how <laughs> brains work. <laughs> it's not how everyone's brains work as I'm learning, as you are learning. <laughs> There are some people that just can't deal with the kind of non-chronological style. Um, but I also enjoy that style too when I read other people's. And I haven't read Julia Baird's book, but they nearly paired us um, at a writer's oh. festival. Yeah, that and would have been a good match. Yeah. Yeah, I think I will read it now that, you know, it's been mentioned a few times. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that style. I just went with what suited my brain. Um, and so, I mean, that's just how it how it works I guess yeah um, yeah yeah I, I guess it's part of writing the body it's one of the most intensely personal acts that a human can undertake and I was thrilled to see you quoting Quinn Eads um, whose book All the Beginnings was a similarly I guess breathtaking read you have to keep reminding yourself oh I'm here and I'm a person and I'm not just living in this world um what does it mean to you to have your work out there in the ether, giving visibility to our community as well as your own individual experience? Yeah, I, I love Quinn. Um, they're also a lovely person, if you ever get to me. I, I've <laughs> known me. Quinn for about 20 years. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, we studied, we studied Auslan together a thousand years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, they, give a, they give a good hug as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does it mean to me? That I, I think it, it was important to me to contextualise things for the reader. You know, this, isn't, this isn't a before and after photo. You know, this is um, 
this is a 60,000 words of nuance and context and um, placing a person in the world, not just uh, one aspect of them. So I think that is important. That was very important to me. That's also important for our community, you know, to say that we're not just one thing. We're not just a body that changes or doesn't change or that is objectified by society or, or whatever. It was, you know, I am a whole person and this is all of it. Yes, it was very personal, um, but I feel like I had control over what I wrote and I have control over how it is then presented to the world. Then you have to let go, right? You have to accept that the experience that readers will have would be their own and it will be a different book for them. I guess I do worry about, you know, the sort of burden of representation is definitely a thing that comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, I was trying to, <laughs> this is so weird that I always bring, I started bringing this up even though I've asked people, I just say, look, I don't talk about Harry Potter. I don't talk about J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Yeah. But that is like an exact example of burden of representation. And the representation thing matters most with the media, you know, because so the Harry Potter thing, I have friends who have Harry Potter tattoos. Yeah. Their chosen name is like related to the Harry Potter stories. It's like a deeply intimate, comforting thing for them. So when JK Rowling came out as like a transphobe, that was devastating to them. And I feel this, and Harry Potter was not that important to me. It wasn't, that's not my story. Right, and um, but I feel this 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 um uh, responsibility to speak for those people for whom Harry Potter was very important in their coming out story or their queerness or yeah. their identity. Um, but it's really nothing to do with me. So I guess I try to okay, I'll do a bit where I'll represent and I'll just put you know allocate a space for me to. Um, say what needs to be said to the wider public who may be ignorant about trans issues. But then also I keep some space for myself. So, um, and that's been good for me and my mental health to kind of keep that uh, circle of self slightly separate from the circle of representation. Mm. Yeah. There's, there's, a real, um, there's a real delicate balance in what you've chosen to share. And I have... I have such great respect for the fact that although you addressed trauma and eventual outcome of treatment, you didn't, there were parts where you didn't go into specifics and it was so beautifully executed. I wasn't left wanting. I was like, yep, cool, got it. Um, because I looked at it through my own lens. And I, I guess I, I'm reminded of um, Neville Zazin, who's a trans non-binary writer. And I think, are you doing a panel with them or yeah. something? Yeah, soon at, at a writer's festival. I am. Yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to tell anyone yet. Well, I'm not telling anyone. I don't <laughs> um, so Neville no just... No, exactly. It's just you and me. Um, so Neville describes their activism and writing as often causing a reliving of their trauma. And they build in a lot of therapy and self-care with their work. I, I noticed that you described in your book having careful guidelines for yourself around writing it, including, you know, stick to 1,000 words in one sitting and then go and do something else. So yeah. where where is the balance point in visibility and safety when it comes to trauma and how do you know when you found it? Yeah, it's not an easy thing and it's not something that's very easy to draw exact and clear lines around mm. and it's something I'm still learning um I did think very carefully it went in the, into the book because you have one chance to get that right and yeah I'm so happy to hear that you didn't feel like you were left wanting um even though I expect there's some people who might be you know people want to know everything as a curiosity or there's a need or it's a sort of a human driven thing or even an entitlement, you know, to someone's um, deep personal moments. And, you know, there's a sort of perception that if you write a personal memoir, then, then you're inviting everybody in um, to everything. Mm. But I, it's, it was important. It's important for me and my mental health not to do that. Mm. And I think it is quite, I also wanted to be generous. So I think it is quite generous in what I do discuss 
but often the exact action or the exact thing that hurt you or, or whatever isn't that important. And it's about how it affected you or how you moved on, how you moved on with it, uh, how you recovered. So I did often sit back and go, well, what is important here? You know, <laughs> um, what, what do I want the reader to know? What do I want them to understand? And that's not often an exact action. And that was something I learned in trauma recovery is that the concept of testimony as an exact memory or, or replication of what happened yeah. is, is really a sideshow. It's about reframing mm. the event and the story in your mind and incorporating it into the story of your life that is recovery. And once your mind can, you know, move on in time, then those sort of repetitive traumatic memories don't repeat in the same way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of writing it. When it comes to talking about it, that's a whole other thing. You know, boundaries with media is something I'm definitely learning. And I thought I kind of knew where I was going to go with that, but I've had some questions. I had one particular question, one interview question that was very penetrative, <laughs> for want of a better word, that just even the question set off my mind before I'd even answered it. So it would be hard to, and my original strategy was to kind of, okay, if they answer a question, that I ask a question I'm not really prepared to go to, I'll just deflect like a politician. But I learned that sometimes you need to set that boundary even beforehand yeah. because that one question can set you off. And I do have, and so like now I learned, I learned a lesson and I um approach things slightly differently I also have really good mental health supports which I'm quite proactive about I have a therapist I've seen for a while and we've talked through you know talking to media and public speaking and and the effects of that so I do have supports in place because it's not always completely predictable mm. but like I definitely had to get to a place where I didn't feel a responsibility to give everything to everybody before I was prepared to like go down this kind of public publication path yeah I think yeah it's really interesting I that representation thing as well the labor of it I I know you know our even our children people feel entitled to ask my partner and I so who carried your children and how did that happen and and oh, it's okay because I've got a friend who did it, so I can ask you that really personal question. And I, and you know, this is one of countless exam examples of how people in the LGBTIQ community are affronted, you know, who are demanded of constantly. And half the time, I'm so shocked that I answer the question, and then later I go, "Oh, that's not what I practiced. That's not." So yeah, I'm really I'm. I'm glad to hear you, you know, you have ways that you can both deflect and set boundaries. It's, it's a it's really a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Your question hurts and then you hate yourself for answering it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a whole heap of bullshit. <laughs> um, there, there were, there were multiple intersections that were relatable in your story. And I think the one that I felt most viscerally as a reader was about, I guess the belief or the standards placed upon you that physical limitations don't apply to you and leading to some severe health implications and outcomes, you know, where the body and the mind actually say, no, you're going to stop now. Here's exhaustion, here's illness, here's whatever it is that stops that flow of endless effort. And it's a really common story for high achievers. I wonder, having the lived experience that you have now, what does success and achievement actually mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely changed. And you, you could almost directly say that, you know, it's also about healthy boundaries. You know, I, there are definitely times in my life where I felt, where I did give everything I had to some uh, other thing that was demanding things from me. And whether that was through achievement or through, you know, swimming the channel or through pushing myself mm -hmm. to meet 
some kind of expectation or some goal or some perception of me as good Mm. and that you lose (laughs) you always lose that way it's not that's not uh, a healthy it's not a healthy way to live and I don't blame baby Kaya for that I mean there's a lot of messaging that the world gives you especially when you're queer that um of not being good enough or not being um yeah not I think good is a a good word to use of not being good and so now you know success is it's about holding those boundaries it's about saying no it's about um not jumping to other people's demands even when that's inconvenient for Mm. them or uncomfortable or or something and it's about holding those boundaries and then not regretting it (laughs) and not having some sort of hangover because you know the price you pay for not looking after yourself in that way is is really significant and you you want to keep that self-respect I think Mm, and the people demanding those results of you, they don't deal with the fallout. No, they're not there. Yeah. No, they're not there <laughs> heating up your dinner for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you wrote of the climate crisis and seeing the science that indicated that we as a planet have gone too far. You know, um, and you said it felt unfair that just as I was gaining life, the world was losing it. I think back to last year and I remember the intense anxiety and that constant um, constant cold feeling in the pit of my stomach when the fires at Malakuta were raging and then that flowed on very quickly to COVID-19. And 2020, it seemed thematically all about breath, smoke, lungs, germs, anxiety, slowing down and managing. And 2021 arrived and it's almost like the universal focus has shifted to deep understanding empathy purpose all of it now you are someone who knows things about the ocean and about life and from what I've read you've worked out this intricate puzzle of who you are so I feel like you know what we can do (laughs) what is the answer (laughs) oh wise one Kaya Wilson of Canberra (laughs) what do we do with this shit show that we've created for planet earth and humanity um, well, I am a prophet, and yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> uh, look, it's so, I mean, it's just been so tough for so many people, hasn't it? And such a reckoning. Good word for it. Yeah. Yeah, like what, what have been the moments? I, 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 I'm also quite practical, right? Like that, you know, I don't. I read a book not so long ago, I'm not going to name it because it feels mean, but like they were looking at different signs of hope and they were talking about different social enterprises or different projects or whatever. And I read it and I was like, I was reading these things when I was 18 and they're not here, you know. And it's one of the hard things is that we do have a lot of the answers, Mm. but we're not doing them. Mm. So I'm kind of interested at the moment in uh, behavioural economics. Um, So that is something I'm reading about. I just, you know, there's no, the thing is that there is no easy answer. I don't know what I can say to you. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man, I'm hanging on by a thread. (laughs) (laughs) If we, you know, I did set out in 2020 to do things um, that made me feel better about it. And I would say that that has value. Um, And one of those things was collective expressions. So like going to protests, going to even like concerts and things where you're with similar people or queer events or something. But um, that made me feel there were other people who cared and that there would be a potential momentum. Does that lead to actual real chronic change? Maybe not. Maybe it does and maybe that will build. But it helped me. And I think if we can look after our mental health in 
um, living with the world and the trauma that it has, that's one step. You know, like it's powerful to be able to be okay in horrific circumstances. Mm. So I don't have a great answer for you. <laughs> but what I have learned is that you can't erase trauma, but you can learn to live with it. And there are ways that that you come out of on the other side that you could never have imagined before. Yeah. And that is a hopeful thing for me, that there is a world there that we haven't yet imagined mm. that we will eventually live in, you know. That's a beautiful answer. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's all the questions I have for you. I have others, but they don't feel as important as what what we could potentially end on there. It's, I yeah, I I really agree with you that if we can move through individual and collective trauma, the other side is so completely different to what you could ever ever hope for. There's no mm. way of knowing what it will be like. Um, do you have another book? in the works at all? What, what are your plans? Look, there was a time last year when I was finishing a book and a PhD and started working full time. So <laughs> have a rest for approximately three gonna, years. Like, yeah. My weekends for a bit, yeah. Yeah. but it's not not on my mind, you know. Um, I'm hoping that different opportunities will come off the back of this. I, I have a new notebook that my partner got me. Yeah. It's one of those like horribly wanky ones. It's made out of like stone or something. Um, <laughs> like, and I like, I feel like I shouldn't even tell people this. Anyway, I opened the first page and I had this like memory of, um, it's actually, I did a panel with a psychiatrist and he was talking about the trans experiences. It's this guy, he's very like handsome and debonair and cool and sort of like not the psychiatrist I had come I was expecting <laughs> um Michael Scott actually I'll just name him because I'm being very flattering um and he talks about the trans experience he described this concept of the unthought known or like the, the trans people kind of know yeah. And then they haven't really thought about it and then it comes to the surface and that's sort of the identity. And at the time, uh, and I was, that's language, oof, you know. Yeah, that's really language. Echoed in my brain and I was just like, what other kind of, what other, there's so many experiences in life that are unthought knowns, you know, like also when I think about my father who I talk in the book um, about who has a real queer history that I didn't know about until later in life and I was like that that also had a bit of an unthought known element to it um which you only really understand in retrospect so that's an idea I don't know maybe a pretty delicious <laughs> idea to, yeah. to delve into yeah let it marinate for a while and see what happens yeah yeah I'm quite an obsessive person something will come up and I'm just like have to do it but one of my <laughs> one of my mental health boundaries I'd like to do going to the future is to um, keep work to the week. Uh, so I'll I don't know go part time at work or something when I start writing again. I want to sort of have better time boundaries. Mm. That's the yeah. plan. That's a very good plan. I'm very hashtag inspo by speaking with you. Thank you, Kaya. Thank you, Kaya Wilson, for, <laughs> for talking with me today, but also for writing this book. It it had a, a profound impact on me that I was not expecting. And um, I just want to let people know that you can listen to the audiobook via BorrowBox, which uh, you can get as part of your any library membership. Um, but the print book is also a beautiful thing to hold in your hands. So thank you very much. Really, really lovely to speak with you. Thank you, Jay. It was a thank genuine, you. genuine pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Me too.
speaking with Kaya was we're having a bit of a redux of our prior interview where what was that on that was on Queer and Now on um on Main FM and that's right I I contacted your publisher and said <laughs> hey could I interview this person and they're like yeah sure and then I was like oh this is easy I don't think <laughs> they want audio. you to interview yeah <laughs> But I, I've, classically, I've done this for years. I invent audio projects so that I can have conversations with people and just create thousands of hours of work for myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just for funsies. Um, but this is this is the Maiden Watch. This is episode one of Slow Reader. And I really wanted to share this interview because it's one of my, I don't know, I really, I really enjoyed this interview. Um, but I had to come back and ask you some questions. Um, the first being, if you could read a passage from your memoir and tell us about why you've picked that one in particular. Yeah, of course. Um, it's quite the honour to be episode one. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you I feel much. very special. <laughs> okay, so I've chosen just a little short one that I think is sort of relevant. It's been a while since I read something, you know, but I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. To fall in love with a woman when you're a man is to have the entire canon of Western art mirror your experience. I slowly grew into the perspective of a world written for men, and I remember enjoying the expanse that stretched before me with a new kind of resonance. I fit into the body that had been waiting for me, and it felt as if my body fit neatly into the world. It was my eyes the images I saw were meant for in the fantasies of appetizing television and porn. There was a new comfort as I drew a seatbelt across my chest and could relax in a design meant for me. When I strapped on my backpack to walk up the mountains of West Nepal, the weight sat better. The straps across my chest worked as they had been intended to. I understood better and more the stories told by men and for men in a way I had not conceived of before. Of course, manhood, manhood is not all that I bring with me in this body and in this mind. There is a piece of myself and my history that I see told in many stories by many people. I am privileged in that way that the storied empathy available to me is at the best of times, a plural, polarity. I'm lonely in that at the worst of times, the storied representation for me is a thumping absence. In telling my own story, I enter the world of the read and listen to. I become the voice sought to accompany the lives of others. In showing myself, my body is read too, for the history it contains. As someone who is transgender, I stand among a few, and the weight of the gaze falls heavy on my shoulders. I feel it in my body when my identity is objectified by an audience. It is a familiar feeling entwined with the experience of living as a woman in this world. It is a scrutinized, invaded feeling, like being touched without consent. I have taken time to recognize the injustice of it and to separate the gaze from invited attention. Everyone likes to feel special, but no one likes to feel other. We all want to be seen. Ooh, a thumping absence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's interesting to read these things again. Like, it's been a little while now. Yeah. And I do still feel that, you know, like. When did, when did the book come out, Kyle? April 2021. April. This year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah gosh. Gosh, imagine. You know, how many people have read these stories? So, yeah, how's it feeling now? Having those words travel through your throat and come out of your mouth again. Well, I did chose that because I thought we're talking about writing and mm. books and, um, it. you know, I'm also revisiting a time in my life that was slightly different. And, you know, as I read it, I'm really thinking, actually, my relationship to manhood is very different. I think I was making a point then and I was playing with the concept and exploring the idea of manhood 
but I think now I've kind of pulled back from that, you know, like I think I've like, okay, I can sit in that, in those shoes. I can like be in that body and I enjoy the body. That's the one thing. But I don't think my mind is really there. I'm, I don't see myself as, as manhood anymore. Mm. Um, and I'm probably just more comfortable being myself than exploring this other that I thought I was moving towards. But yeah. It's, it's really interesting you say that I um, I did a workshop with Jenny Valentich, who I'm also going to be speaking within a few days about her book, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else. And she talks about when, you, when you're writing memoir, when you're writing your own story, be aware that once it's out there, if you are different to what people have read, they will be offended or they'll, they'll have this <laughs> strange reaction. Um, like, for example, if there's a, a sober memoir and then um, so a reader sees the author knocking back shots, go, but you said right. your book this. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. And I think particularly when it comes to gender expression and identity, because these things are constantly... Like for me, I know every day I feel a little bit different to the day before. And even my wife said to me the other day, she said, gosh, I just saw a picture of you from six months ago and I don't even recognise that person. That's a, that's yeah. a completely different person. And I go, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. I, I feel weird seeing those pictures too. But, um, uh, yeah, how... Was it was it a kind of a surprise to you then to read that and go oh no I'm I'm past that curiosity and now I'm just in that comfort and are you feeling more at home in yourself than when you were exploring those ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I feel quite proud of myself reading it in the way that you know I definitely like I can. It's quite easy reading it to to revisit that mindset mm. or where I was. Um, so it's nice to have moved on. It's nice to be more comfortable. I think also like, you know, coming out as transgender was so anxiety inducing and scary and terrifying, but it also just kicked the door down, right? Yeah. Like I've done it. I've done the most abhorrent thing that lots of people can think of. Mm. And now like I can do what I want. The door's open. I can be who I am. Yeah. And there's less of a kind of, there's no obstacles anymore. I guess that's the the difference mm. is I don't have to push against this door. It's, it's, it's not there and I can just explore myself without enormous consequences. Mm. Yeah, the monkey's mm. off your back, that, yeah. that, that hidden thing that you just, it's on the tip of your tongue. It's out. Yeah, I, I get that. I have that too. Um, and I, I think I only did it because there was a picture coming out on a piece I had in the Sydney Morning Herald. And I thought, oh, that's not the name my mother gave me. Oh, crap, I better, I better do some damage control here in case people see it. Uh, and then I was like, all right, done. Rip the Band-Aid off. And I, mean, I don't know how it was for you. I mean, I know parts of it because of your book, but the parts that were awful at the start are a lot less awful now. Um, yeah. In that the reactions have calmed down a bit and people have gone, oh, no, it's actually fine. And I'm just yeah. being a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> it takes energy to be a dick as well. Like, you have to sustain does. that. And Who's got energy in the time of that. COVID? No one's got energy. It's part of the year. We're all knackered. That's all just <laughs> Also, time passes and, like, people realise that this isn't going to change. Like, this is oh. here to stay. So yeah. they kind of, they have to adjust or... Or there's no other option, you know. Yeah. Go on. How's your year been as a published author? I mean, it's, it's a really big thing to 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 put this book baby out and have a little birthday party for it, and people give you gifts. I'm, I'm assuming, um, and <laughs> <laughs> you get you get media attention and things printed, and people know your name where they might not have before. What has that experience been like for you? But getting published is like it hasn't worn off you know that that is so exciting and really great and I didn't expect it so it definitely was something I wanted and something really exciting and great 
Um, and they were real glory moments. They were, you know, it was exciting. They put me in a hotel to do the audio book and I went off and did that. And, oh, serious? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How have it we was... not talked about this? That's very cool. <laughs> well, the publisher has like an in-house audio recording studio. So I just oh. stayed in the city and, and did it. Um, I like, you know, they give you like lozenges. <laughs> like you <gotta> like... <laughs> they give you hot tea. <laughs> um yeah so there's different stages but those like exciting moments are great like seeing it in real life is exciting Mm. doing that sort of thing I managed to get to the Sydney Writers Festival um so I had that glory moment um it is intense like you, you know you're on stage you've written something intense they want the you know the the people <laughs> they want your input you know I was in the kind of an unu- like a quite a difficult panel like I was with someone who was sort of campaigning against uh fertility treatment for like almost anyone mm. um and like so that was like quite a lot to think about think about um but like then you get the afterwards you get the cool parties you know you stay in the hotel and there's like <laughs> Judith Lucy at the bar who you get drunk what? with like it's just, you're just like, stuff like that is really exciting the hotel yeah. was amazing there's like a sort of bathtub in the room so like I still like, I you know I find that stuff cool yeah <laughs> um cool. yeah the media like has evolved I think you know you have that initial kind of oh my god and then you sort of get a bit more used to it a bit more comfortable mm-hmm. and then we had our sort of covid wave and having been invited to lots of festivals, which I was also really excited and proud of, because it's not a given, right? Like, mm. but like I was, I think it all it kicked off just a week or so before I was supposed to go to Byron Bay. Mm. And that's a great writers festival. I had like they curated it really well. So like I'd been put in really interesting panels that weren't explicitly about gender, or weren't explicitly about queerness. Oh, um so nice. it mixed me, yeah, it mixed yeah. me with cool people and so that was like I have to say pretty devastating when it all yeah. got cancelled. Um, but I think yeah, disappointment was something I felt I had to deal with at that stage. Mm. Um, but then you know we're merging back out. We did the In Queer online festival? That was exciting, and that was an experience, you know, because like having been the nobody suddenly. Like I was listed a little bit higher up the bill, You're in you a know, bit of or you <laughs> <are the poor laughs> <people>. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. you know, you've got the book, and mm. um, so yeah, that sort of slow movement. I just sort of realised it slightly happened to me. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess you know, I don't, I do as like a practice, like a sort of mental health thing. Try to look in all directions, you know, like. Mm who's who's above me like what does that look like and also who's below me what does that look like who's sort of around the same kind of thing mm. um so that I'm not always going to the next thing you know it's not like oh I next book needs to be a prize winner or something or a bestseller or yeah. you know or like I have to be the next Ben Law like is it like you know I don't think that's really healthy mm. it's nice to kind of be like wow you know this is pretty great as it is yeah enjoy um, where you are and, and and absorb that as well yeah and let, you, let yourself have that I'm one of the cool people for for a minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, yeah I'll take it you know yeah <laughs> and the other thing I also really want to hold on to is the like freedom of not having an audience so I have had this idea for another book which I'm not going to talk about explicitly but um it's it's audacious and a bit bonkers and but like I have this sort of driving like there's like burning desire to do it and I need to keep that keep any expectations at bay or any um like you know yeah it might get knocked back by the publisher or whatever (laughs) so I need to kind of keep the my own space to to make that something that can happen still yeah Oh, I'm very intrigued, but I'm going to respect what you just said, even though I do. <laughs> I think it's um, the kind of thing I've got to pull off first before I share it. Yeah, okay. I get it. Uh, I get it. I get it. But if you want to send me a text later and just tell me about it, that's fine too. Um, <laughs> what are you what are you reading at the moment? 
I, at the moment, I've got, I'm just going to get these books out. Um, so I just finished Love and Virtue by Dana Reed, new release. Mm. Um, kind of like a hot ticket in town, as far as I can tell from the internet. Yeah. Um, kind of fun. Well, it's like it's fun, maybe. It's like, it's a campus novel, which is mm. the, an American tradition, I guess. But it's like arch and scathing of everybody, which is, but it's like a page turner. Um, so that was kind of fun and interesting and then what I'm reading right now I just started is um, I'm about halfway through is Lauren Groff's Matrix also oh, that's a beautiful new... cover I know this is a podcast yeah. people won't say that but all shiny yeah yeah so it's um got it's just like it's cream with blue text within this sort of gold uh, vegetation but basically <laughs> it's about a nun who becomes like a boss of the nuns um and sort of creates this like labyrinth around the nunnery um, which is definitely not the right word becomes like the leader <laughs> brings them out of poverty and into power and <laughs> basically they all just kind of like have sex with each other for health reasons <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it's sort of dreamlike but erotic but like you know, the eroticism oh is very—it's widely yeah. spaced. When, when I, I is this? Know, uh, this is not the first question that comes to mind. But what? What? When is this set in time? Um, a long time ago. Wow. Uh, like I don't. I should oh probably look this up. But it's like pre-medicine, you know. <laughs> like, um, Oof. you know, there's like accounts of everyone getting high off the of blight on the rye. So you know how like LSD can grow yeah. on like on oh weight and stuff, um, and they don't I know, know what, what I'm is. getting my wife for Christmas now. She's yeah. she's, she's been nuns in all sorts of past lives, I think, and she's got this real nun kind of fixation. Um, okay, I mean, who doesn't? But who anyone who grew up watching The Sound of Music a thousand times is a little bit obsessed with nuns. I'm definitely going to check that out. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you burn through books pretty quickly or what sort of a reader are you? Look, I, like, joined a book club. This is another thing. I got published and someone invited me to in their book club. And it's, like, these, <laughs> like, very <laughs> famous people. I had to Google them. I was like, oh, my God. But so for them I read one book a month. And so it made me realise how many I read. So I probably read about five a month yeah. if I go on holiday I might read one a day if it's that mm. kind of holiday mm. um, oh god I'm, I haven't <laughs> yeah. had that kind of holiday in such a long time oh, god. <laughs> yeah not uh, since before the kids but I remember oh those holidays are so good when you just boop 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 yep um yeah. oh god and do you are they all paper or do you do you have some sort of a kindle situation I have tried a Kindle in the past. I went, I, I went to Taiwan for nine months and I got a Kindle because I could get mm-hmm. new books and it's slightly cheaper. But honestly, I hate it. I, yeah. <laughs> I like a real book. I've got a street library, so I've got somewhere to put them so they don't go to oh, waste. Great. Yes. So I keep the good ones, get rid of the ones that aren't so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Amazon's evil, but like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I respect other, I respect access, right? So yeah. Yeah. But for me, I just like to hold it. Mm. Do you ever listen to audiobooks? I listen to a lot of podcasts and I need to get into audiobooks because <laughs> I, I I love listening to stories. Mm. Yeah. Um, I really recommend Tilly Lawless, her book, um, Nothing But My Body. She reads it and it's oh, beautiful. Beautiful, right. beautiful book. Yeah. And you've got I have to read it. it. Oh, have you got to listen In to audio voice? Right. What did you think of it? I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was very, yeah, very beautiful. Mm. I, like you say, beautiful descriptions of um, the environment, I thought yes. was a real strength. Yeah. I think it's another book where, like, it, the the sort of sex work gets the, the headline, but, mm. but the, it's, not it, that, yeah. it's not, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so good audio. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, beautiful audio, and because she's such a compelling speaker, anyway. Um, yeah. But hearing her read her artwork, it's it's really it's something. If you have space in your in your mind, 
for some audio. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Really worth doing. Um, I'm going to crack into the Argonauts soon because in the space of three weeks, about five people have told me that I have to read it. Um, so I've downloaded it in my audio account. I, I have trouble with print books because my brain, it, I'm, like now I forget the words, um, the processing doesn't work so well because of my, my chronic pain stuff. So my brain's really foggy, but audio is fine. It doesn't tire out my mind. So, yeah, yeah. Look, so, the amount yeah. of people that I know that are friends are like, I don't read or I can't read mm. for various reasons, but I'm so happy you've got an audio book because now I can access it, you know? Yes. It's, yeah. um, uh, so has no one recorded the Argonauts? No, it is. I've got, I've got the audio version oh, okay. sitting there ready because I just finished um, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird this morning, um, which I really, I don't know, she's so bumbly. I really relate to that. Um, <laughs> she's just sort of faffing around and finds these little gold nuggets and just goes, oh, here they are. I don't know. On with the next thing. That's, that's kind of how my mind works as well. Um, yeah. But I've, I've constantly got a, a wish list of, of so many things I want to absorb. But I my little walk every day around the block is about 20, 25 minutes. So that's my reading time. Yeah. Or if I drive your, somewhere. Yeah. Right. Your personal yeah. time. Yeah. So it, there's a real like audiobooks are now a thing, right? Like totally almost thing, yeah. every book has one. Mm. So that's really great. I well, I yeah, Jennifer Downs' book Bodies of Light has been getting a lot of a lot of um what, what's the word? Good talk about it. Um, <laughs> a lot of right. Well received. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real good book and that. Um and I looked up, I couldn't find it in audio anywhere. And I and I had the miss, I felt like I was missing out. And so what I wanted to do is go, hey, this isn't accessible, you effers, but instead I just um I think I on Twitter I just asked the publisher are there any plans to have an audio book? And they're like, it's being recorded now. Thank you so much. So I, right. I, didn't, I didn't have to be a self-righteous, angry person uh, <laughs> about it, but I was ready to. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I love a big, sad book. Just yeah. where I can just really latch onto those emotions and and go go with it. Yeah, also, feel them. Yeah, feel those sad yeah. feelings. Um, <laughs> so I'm taking your recommendation for... Uh, Lauren Groff, and it's is it called Matrix? It's called Matrix. Matrix it takes yeah. a minute. Yeah, it takes a minute to get into the zone because it's mm. you know I don't know it's hundreds of years ago like yeah but it but once you get the first kind of erotic scene you'll just be racing away. Oh yeah, <laughs> I am here for it. All right, great. I feel quite flustered just thinking about it. So my next question <laughs> is, <laughs> uh, it's been a huge year. It's year two of the Pando and. Um, I think everyone is is sort of pretty wrung out but also a little bit used to things. Um, and I think our, our book friends at these times are, are so important and mean so much. And I know that everything I've read over the past two years, I'll, I'll pick up and go, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember having that at this point in time. Um, can you pick a favourite for, for this year that you have read? Yes. I can. It's a big question. It is a big question. It was I, quite the yeah. challenge you laid down. Yeah. And I went and looked at my bookshelf, the ones that, you know, made the made cut the and cut, stayed yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I do have a top. I'm good. Can I mention my, uh, um, what's the, like, not number two, but like the sort of. Your runner up kind of thing. Yeah, my runner up. Um, is I read Sarah Santilli's for the first time, mm. an American writer who released a book called Stranger Care t- this year yeah. and it's about fostering a baby. And wow, cool. Yeah, and yeah. it's just, ext- I knew it was going to be wrenching, but I was there for mm. it and it's just mm. extraordinary and it's about fostering a baby that is not your baby, right, and that mm. isn't necessarily destined to live with you forever. Mm. Um and it's incredible. And so I also read her other book, which is Draw Your Weapons, um, which is sort of about artistic depictions of war and also like a really deep exploration of what it means to be a conscientious objector. Hmm. 
uh, which I am very interested in. Like I do contemplate, you know, what if? And like the last couple of years, World War doesn't seem completely off the cards. <laughs> like conscription doesn't seem completely insane. Yeah. And the army is becoming much more gender inclusive. So, you know, and I've in my mind, I sort of always imagined I would never go to war. Um, and to have a, a real depiction of what that entails, what it means and what what they do to you. <laughs> like you know, the, the suffering that comes with that as well. Yeah. Um so that was incredible. Okay, but you asked my number one. My number one is on Earth. We're briefly gorgeous. Oh, great! That's on my list. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely read it. So it's by Ocean. So the anglicized pronunciation is 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 Vong, but I looked it up and it's Wong. Okay. Right. That's what yeah. I. That's, that's correct. Thank you. Yeah. So it's Vietnamese uh, heritage, uh, born. Look it's his story in America and I picked it up based on the strength of a quote that Rick Morton made just like one quote and I was like why not and I didn't know much about it and I'm really glad I didn't because apart from anything else it was surprise gay um Um, but it's just absolutely extraordinarily poetic and Mm. lovely and this unbelievable sensitivity to language which, you know, because he's, English is not his first language and he somehow uses that to his advantage. He's got this slightly detached overview of English that's just, it's just absolutely incredible. And um, I was so happy that I half stumbled across it. Yeah. And then, like, you know, you look into it and it's, like, everywhere. And it's, I'm not the first person to think it's incredible. (laughs) And then also he went slightly viral the other week because some passage was on the HSC exam. Did you see that? Yes. There were some great memes made out of that particular interaction. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, people were not happy. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, wouldn't that be strange having all these, these elastic young minds making sense of your words for such a, a... a bizarre hinge moment for them. Oh, like, gosh. You know, you when you're that age, you think, like, yeah. you sort of believe that there's this sort of grand plan in writing <laughs> when you actually write something. You're like, yeah, I tried, but, you know, mm. anything could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Gosh, you've had a big year, haven't you? Kyle Look, I think Wilson. we all have. We all yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you have, um, I mean, aside from your kooky project that you're not telling us about are you going to be working on that next year do you have other sort of plans yeah look it's I I needed a breather um Mm. after book and also PhD so um yes I got like my PhD awarded and I was finishing it whilst working full-time it was just like there was just this insane time just when I sort of I come to this like mental health place where I was like, I don't need to, you know, completely flog myself for no reason. <laughs> so, so anyway, those oh, things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I gave birth to these twins of like booking PhD and I just needed some weekends. Um, I haven't like put my hand up for anything. I did write one uh, little piece for Griffith Review, um, which I was invited to write, so that's like a new thing too. You have very... all sorts of invitations, Kyle, for <laughs> clubs, festivals, write for these amazing publications. Oof, nice. Yeah, like yeah. you know, you you start hustling, right? And then yeah. someone invites you to do something. I mean, this is like one thing. It was, but it was a beautiful experience. It was like yeah. they are very sensitive editors very careful really get in there um yeah so writing for them was an absolute joy and it was sort of a lockdown diary which I also found quite intimidating because you know Helen Garner's writing those (laughs) it's like how do you write something I'm I'm waiting for one more rejection because you know it's rejection season at the moment um speaking November 2021 and I've got one more and it's 
it's a competition judge. Helen Garner's going to read the um, the shortlist. <laughs> so anytime anyone says Helen Garner, I nearly throw up because I'm just like I'm I'm hot. I'm just hanging my hopes on this <laughs> competition. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you listed already? Do you know? No, they haven't shortlisted. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Oh, man. I, I got an email from the, the other day saying, oh, we'll let everyone know at the end of December. And I went, great. That's great. <laughs> That's no problem. We're not doing at anything at that time. No. Of no. I won't be distracted. That's great. No problem. <laughs> Do you have, have you done that before where you've um, entered essays or or works into things and then you're just refreshing your email every two seconds waiting to get something? Like they sort of give you a clue as to roughly when. I Honestly, I try to forget about them. Mm. Like competitions are such a lottery situation. Mm. Like um, I did enter pretty much every single emerging writers competition before I got published in yeah. one year there was like there's like several right and then yeah um, I did get shortlisted for a couple so that was really exciting I ended up winning the one the only one that doesn't give you any money <laughs> <laughs> I was like classic uh. <laughs> but I mean I don't I shouldn't knock mm. it because they really really helped me mm. um, but yeah I think I try not to think about it too much it's hard not to dream though yeah you know you, it's easy to imagine your life with a certain thing but my dad actually used to give me this advice for big decisions I don't know if you just like any big decision that's being made out of your control in that you just got to psychologically prepare yourself for either outcome um Mm. so there's a safe landing place either way yeah 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 no I can't do that I'm just like screaming at the sky. <laughs> but that, that is what is charming about you. You know, your feelings are there. And it's, it's nice, yeah. They're right on my sleeve in everyone's face. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, oh, thanks, Kaya. Well, um, it's been, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a bittersweet weekend for me. This is the first non no rules dance floors are back on um, and everyone's having these full weddings again so I'm I'm out of the wedding beers and all my celebrant buddies are doing this time I've got three on today because everyone's so backlogged and I'm just what did I do I made I marinated something for dinner and um had a dance party with my kids and just these are worthy activities did you feel a bit like like that that sort of path is going off without you is that the yeah, and it, it, I kind yeah. of, I'm kind of glad. I'm glad to not for my weekend to be a weekend, kind of what you were saying. Yeah. I've been absent on weekends for so long and now I get to do things like this and make dinner and hang out with my kids and do all that fun stuff. It's really nice. Yeah. And the other parts yeah. of your life will grow. Yeah, mm. yeah it's yeah. the money as well. I miss that wedding money. Oof. It was nice. They spend big on weddings. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but I don't know. It feels better. It feels better to have made this this call and and just to have made it this year. And, and things are going pretty well. It's, it's been it's been a good year. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it's still a scary world out there. You know, people getting yeah going to weddings, but like COVID isn't. Oh, isn't I wouldn't go to a wedding if I was invited to one at the moment. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to anything. I'm just I go to. I go to the shops to pay off the lay-by for Christmas. That's about, <laughs> that's my big outing at the moment. I went to Aldi the other day and I, I felt like I'd run a triathlon just going through that process with my two-year-old. She had her emotional support broccoli in one hand and her emotional support <laughs> gnocchi in the other and we had quite an altercation at the checkout because the, the checkout person needed to scan them and and my, my kid was just like, no! <laughs> <laughs> so we made a bit of a deal and got through it, but it, man, it was fraught being out in the wow. world again. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird out there. I'm pre- and I'm for free. your kid, like, yeah, it's a large part oh, of their life. To it. Yeah, mm. yeah. These COVID babies, they just I I got them both a new Duna cover, and it was like the most exciting thing that had happened for twelve months. So <laughs> running around the house with their Dunas, and it's just yeah. They're pretty happy with small things. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much for, for coming back and talking to me again. Um, I, I reckon we probably talked in the middle of the year, so probably about six months ago or thereabouts. Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. And here we are, heading towards the end of, of 2021. This is Slow Reader. I am Jasper Beach talking to Dr. Kyle Wilson. <laughs> the, uh, the parent of twins, a book as beautiful as any other and a PhD. Can you tell us briefly about your PhD before I let you go? Yeah, look, yeah. I can. I also don't want to trivialise parenthood because I can imagine having twins <laughs> is much more of a nightmare. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like, yeah. Yeah, um, PhD is about tsunamis and how much of a risk they are for Southeast Australia mm. and roughly like how we can like ways we can improve on estimating how bad they might be in certain situations and in situations where you don't have the money to do a proper study mm. yeah. are we all doomed what do you reckon look there's many things in the world that might <laughs> one way or <laughs> probably another more yes. tsunamis. <laughs> <laughs> just leave that one out of your anxiety pile for now okay all right (laughs) yeah all right yeah people keep telling me not to look into these things because i'm i'm so neurotic but um (laughs) stop nor will i thank you dr kyle wilson very lovely to talk with you and this is slow reader there you have it first cap off the ranks dr kyle wilson um, you can listen to more great LGBTIQA content via mainfm.net through the program Queer and Now. Really great to have the first episode out. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jasper Peach Says. Huge thank you to Monique Bodger for these sweet tunes made just for the podcast. Monique is part of the Women of Soul a collective of Australia's finest female vocalists and songwriters. Join me next time for a chat with Jenny Valentish, author of Everything Harder Than Everyone Else. Till then, may your reading be gripping, fulfilling and ultimately soul-expanding. <laughs>